And knowing the week that he was going to have, I said to Ian, you better get rid of that message on Sunday and palm it off to someone, and, and I caught it. <laughs> but I want to carry on. Just some, a, a thought of Ian's message last week. He said, Jesus is not an add-on to our life. And, and for some people, you know, we, we may be a good person. We've heard the Bible. But, but some people over Christianity, they come to Jesus and, and it's almost like it's an add-on to their life. That it's like a, a simple fix. It's just something that they, they, they have a lot of beliefs in life. But Jesus is just one of those beliefs that they put on and they just add to their life. And they go to church on a Sunday and they tick the box. But is there really change within their life? And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, it really lays out how we should live as Christians, and I've been thinking about it over this last week, and just want to share a few thoughts with you today. And, um, you know, just to bring a challenge, because as I read this scripture, it brings a challenge to me and actually demands change in my life. And my wife would be very happy with that. But if we look through some of the section headings of the Sermon on the Mount, I tell you what, it brings such a challenge to your life. And, and I'm going to ask you, just as I just quickly go through these, can you improve in some of these areas? Because it's certainly challenging. So Jesus says, this is how Christians ought to live. And there's a, in verses 13 to 16, he talks about being salt and light, about evangelism. About, he talks about Christ fulfills the law. The issues of the heart with regards to you know, murder and adultery. Next passage is on marriage and honesty. Going the second mile, do we have difficulty with that? What about loving your enemies? Doing good deeds, prayer and fasting. Laying up treasures on earth or in heaven. What do you focus on? You, you know, the challenge of putting um, what's first place in your life. Is it God or is it money? You know, Jesus is just going through, hey, these are, these are Christian living. You know, about not to worry, not to judge. You know, about persistence and ask, seek and knock. Narrow is the way. You know, by the fruit of people's lives, you're going to know them. You know, he talks about many people will say, Lord, Lord, but he's going to say to you, I never knew you. And about building on the rock, building on something that's going to stand for eternity. And, you know, as I read through this Sermon on the Mount, I'm going, what a challenge it brings. And Ian and I were just sitting on our deck yesterday just discussing a few things. And, and as we can do, as we, we're, you know, having journeyed through life and we look back over our life and we think about the goodness that God has brought into our lives all these years and, and looking ahead as to what time we have left. And, and just in preparing this week, I'm looking at this Sermon on the Mount going, if I just focus on this for the last part of my journey, if I can stand before the Lord and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, then I'm a happy man. And so Jesus is laying out how we should live as Christians, but he didn't just leave us there. He actually gave us some answers or some foundations to how we live this in the first part of Matthew 5 and what we call the Beatitudes. And he gives us some guidelines for salvation and about, you know, don't let your salvation, your Christianity just be an add-on to your life. Let it be something that totally transforms your life, that you live different. 
And there are times in our lives where we have to take stock of our life and say, how well are we doing? Sometimes you can go, if you do that, you can go, ouch. Because you may look at that person in the mirror as I do and you may not get the scare that I get. But I see that man in the mirror, that that man's a sinner and certainly needs improving. When I look in the light of Scripture, that Jesus brings such a challenge to our lives. And I just want to share a few thoughts with you today about that whole foundation of belief behind our salvation that, you know, it's not to be an add-on. I don't want you to get to that day when you stand before the Lord. Every one of us is going to give an account. And he said, and you go, well, Lord, Lord. And he says, I did not know you. So what part of Christianity or, or the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount or from the Bible, what part of that is changing our lives? Because as I see, you know, the world is changing and sometimes preaching, you know, laying your life down and living a holy life may not be a popular message to many people in the world. So the challenge is to us, will we embrace it? Will we run with it and allow it to change our lives? And the first one is, you know, it's your choice to work on the natural or to work on the eternal. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, another translation is blessed, happy, fortunate. To be envied is the man who is poor in spirit. The world says, you, you know, if it feels good, you just do it. Lay up treasures for yourself. Make money. Let that be your number one. And wide is the road. And Jesus says, no, no. You know, because they, those people, are wanting to seek happiness that way. Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way. He says, if you truly want to be happy, if you truly want to be blessed, then Scripture's laying it out here. And, and here's a way for us to live. And we can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. You, you know, you see, nowhere in the Bible, you know, some people think, blessed are the poor. But the Bible doesn't say, you know, commend poor. You're no nearer to heaven if you're poor than if you're rich. It's not a commendation of poverty. God finds no, po no satisfaction in poverty. And poverty is not a guarantee of spirituality. But the scripture reads, blessed are the poor in spirit. For this is the foundation of that. For that's the foundation of our, uh, of our salvation. It's an essential part of the gospel. The Sermon on the Mount, my friends, brings such a challenge to our hearts. To be poor in spirit is nothing in ourselves. When you're poor in spirit, what, what, the, what it's saying here is that when we stand before a holy God, you and I can't add anything to our salvation in the sense of earning it. It's the gospel of grace given to each one of us as a free gift. And when we realize that we can't change ourselves, we then realize that we're in need of a savior and we're, what the Bible says, we're poor in spirit. In Romans 3, it talks about, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands or doing something of ourselves. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. 
But God has shown us a way that we may be right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. Righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when we're free from the penalty of sin. You, you know, when we stand before a holy God, you know, you really feel that it's like, oh, that man in the mirror can certainly improve. I'm not sure about you. To be poor in spirit, realizing we can do nothing of ourselves and that we need a savior. The wonder about God is, is that he doesn't leave us there and that we feel that we're left on our own. He's got a, a plan and a part that he wants to walk with each one of us. You see, God's not willing that any should perish. And then he wants each one of us to, to live a life absolutely full of what he has for us. Number two, your choice to see yourself as you, it's your choice to see yourself as you truly are. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed, happy, to be envied. Are those who see themselves in sinners and mourn because of it. You see, I'm wondering in church life that the world's standards can sometimes have an impact on our lives and actually sin is just that little, it's a little word and it's actually not something that grieves us. I'm wondering when was the last time that we, our sin so challenged us that we grieved. Is it something that we just kind of, well, it's, yeah, it's just another part of life and, and you know, we, and, and we belittle it and it doesn't bring a challenge to us. Are we grieved because of it? And I look at, seriously, I look at my own life and I'm going, am I really grieved when I sin? Or do I just brush it off and kind of try and, uh, you know, you justify it? And I think, you know, God's saying, we got to be people in this day and age when the world standards are so influencing the church that we've got to be people that actually say no. Sin has had enough in my life, it's had enough control, it's had enough influence and effect on my life that I'm going to stop it. And we seriously make a decision that we're going to change. I, I'm just in this week in studying the Sermon on the Mount, I'm saying I have to change. Because it's not good enough. I'm not annoyed enough by the sin in my life. I'm being very honest with you today. Not many people smiling. 
But the amazing thing is, is God doesn't leave you there. But we can make it right. Later on, when Jesus is giving us uh, the model prayer in which we can use, and it says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. My friends, you and I have to keep short accounts. You know, we want to be, you know, blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is the person that would keep a short account with God. And sometimes we wonder why we live an average Christian life. And I don't want that for you, but if we keep short accounts, if we grieve about our sin, if we say, Lord, I just want to live right, then we'd be blessed. Happiness is a byproduct of that. Let me encourage you this week. Why don't, in your quiet time, why don't you bring your, your sin to God? How many feel so often we can just come to God at the end of the day or the morning and say, God bless, would you just bless Martin and his job and bless Ian and, you know, Gavin, what he's doing there and God bless this and, and it's all, all that there. And we don't say, God, will you do something in my life? Will I stop playing Christianity and God bless everybody else, which is good, pray for other people, but God, would you work on my own life? Because I'm not happy with where I stand. You know, when you read Romans and the, and, and the Apostle Paul says, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. How many can relate? Oh, it's just my hand lifted up. Yeah, and then he goes, oh, wretched man that I am. There is, a, there is a grieving in Paul's life that says, I have to change. The blind man, Jesus is walking down the street. There's all the crowds around the blind man, absolutely desperate, cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's just countless encounters in the Bible. You know, Isaiah says, woe is me when he sees the Lord in all his holiness. He says, woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And, And you know, sometimes we just need an encounter with God rather than another message on Sunday. And so often we can just come and say, Pastor Ian, just give me something. And sometimes he wants to say, get it yourself. When was the last time that you actually turned a CD on at home and started singing to yourself and started worshiping the Lord? Said, God, I really need your presence in my life. God, I want to lay it down. I want to lay my life down. I want to lay my desires and what I hope to achieve in this planet. Because at the end of the day, you know, Ian and I were sitting at home. We've just done a large extension because Mandy was twisting my arm to, to, to build another place for them. Not really. My married daughter, everybody. It's always good to be able to embarrass your daughter. It's a God-given right for a father. And, and so Ian and I, we'd, uh, we were just talking. We were just showing Ian what we'd achieved. And, and we're, we're really happy. But do you know what? I can't take it with me into eternity. It's just bricks and mortar. It's nothing. 
In terms of the importance in eternity, it is nothing. Totally lost my place. Jesus is saying that the man who mourns is truly happy. Ian and family and my family both know what it is to lose someone close. And it's amazing to have, and you're mourning away at the loss. You know, this year, still pretty raw, eh, Bucks? And it's great to have someone to come and just to talk about and comfort you. But I want to say that Jesus, if you're grieved by your sin and how you're living life, Jesus is even greater to come and comfort you. And he doesn't leave you there. He doesn't condemn you. He'll bring the challenge, but he'll also provide a way and encouragement for you to go forward because you can't stay there. But you do need to be challenged about how has sin really affected your life and do you just push it off? See, great sorrow can lead to great gain. What about the world? Those people that don't mourn, that actually accept that their lifestyle is okay. See, no comfort will come their way because the constant seeking of some of those things never satisfies. So let me encourage you. Let's just get honest with God. Let's don't play Christianity because at the end of the day when you stand before him, you're not playing the game then. It's the real thing. Number three. It's your choice to step down in order to take a step up. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It doesn't say blessed are the weak, because that's how the world would see things, or how the world would read that. It's entirely opposite to how the natural man thinks. The world thinks in terms of power and strength and, and self-assertion. But the Christian is different. Blessed are the meek. These statements so confounded the Jews because the Jews thought Jesus would start to establish an earthly kingdom. And, you know, that wasn't the case. Meekness is not to be confused with uh, weakness. It's not the naturally shy person, the person with a natural disposition or some weak, flabby, weak-kneed Christian that kind of... It's not meekness at all. Moses was considered the meekest man on the planet. Moses had absolutely everything in the education of Egypt. Being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, or adopted as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he humbled himself and completely gave himself to the purposes of God on his life. David, a great leader, yet a meek man. Psalm 51, David's confronted with his sin. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, and according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. You know, right through the book of, of uh, uh, Psalms, David's dependence upon God says that he was a meek man, absolutely needed God in every aspect of his life. And friends, when it comes to our sin and our salvation, we've got to realize that it's only Jesus that's going to pay the way because you can't add anything to it. 
Blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied is the man who has a true view of himself when standing before a holy God. Hello? Is the man who has a true view of himself when standing before a holy God. And I tell you, if you can come to that place and allow the Lord to come in and work in your life, this scripture says you'll be blessed, happy, fortunate, you'll be to be envied. The meek humble themselves and then position themselves to be lifted up. Why don't the musicians come? It's a short message today. And Bucks is just so happy. (laughs) He's got a week off. It's great. It's your choice to pursue the things that will make your life count. You know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This message really should be a central focus of our Christian life. And in the busyness of life, we can let our hunger and thirst for righteousness take a backward place or a less important place. And we don't make a conscious decision to live our lives that way. Let me ask you, when was the last time you prayed or fasted or went away for a weekend to say, God, I really want a different, you to make a difference in my life? And you brought some focus. Why don't we play that last song? There we hit. When was the last time you actually hungered and thirst for righteousness that it demanded change in your life. When was the last time you said no to making a decision to sin? Because that's what we do, isn't it? Because we're human. When was the last time you said, actually, Lord Jesus, I'm going to go the second mile and just serve someone else? that I'm going to put aside the treasures of this earth and actually chase the treasures of heaven, the treasures of eternity. When was the last time that we just laid our lives down and said, Lord, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to give it to you. I'm not going to judge that minister or that person here or that. And I'm going to walk away that you asked me. Not the wide road, but I'm going to take the road that's right. God, I'm going to build my life on a rock that's going to make a difference, not only in my life, but in those around me. God, I'll do anything to live a life that's right. Why don't we stand? Mm. 
The Bible says that if we would seek after righteousness or right living, happiness, blessed, to be envied is a byproduct of that. Happy, fortunate is the person who would hunger and thirst after righteousness. My friends, one of my favorite scriptures is seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33, and, and all these things. I think so often we're trying to add all these things to our life and we don't do the first half of it, of seeking first the kingdom. And we're going to sing this last song that we sung today. And it says, center my heart, center my mind, fix my eyes on you. Center my heart, center my mind, till I'm all about you. Because there are some Christians across the world that will say, till I'm all about me. It's all about me. And let me encourage you this week that you go away and you say, God, I want to fix my eyes on you and I want to live my life for you. Let's sing the song, Cara. Why don't you lead us? Thanks.